the class called The Fear of Man. And uh, primarily it's a reflection of this book here called When People Are Big and God is Small. And last week we focused on what the fear of man is and, and how it shows up in life. And this week we're going to talk somewhat about a remedy because one of the things I said when we ended last week was the reason that we fear man or fear people so much is because we fear God little. And so our fear of man is going to be proportionate to the amount that we fear God. The more we fear God, the less we'll fear man. And I gave for you an assignment. I asked you to see how the fear of man shows up in your life. Now, it's easy for us to see how the fear of man shows up in other people's lives, but what about yours? Did you look for ways in which you were fearful of people, either fearful of physical harm, of shameful exposure, or of personal rejection? All right, well, this week we're going to look at the fear of God. Um, before we dive into the material, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we recognize that we are weak and uh, feeble. We need Your help. And uh, we often fear people more than we do You. In fact, a lot of our lives are revolve around trying to impress people or trying to meet up to their expectations. And we often set Your expectations and desires aside. And so we want to think rightly about these truths and we want to respond rightly. So we pray that You would give us the wisdom that, to do so, to be able to see these things clearly. We pray that Your Spirit would um, make Your Word alive in the sense that we understand it and we accept it readily as it being Your truth. Help us not to put it away quickly because we have all these personal objections in our own heads, but help us to accept it and to respond to it. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I put a quote on there that we uh, looked at last week. I won't, I won't uh, read through that again. But in, in uh, this book here by, by uh, Ed Welch, he defines the fear of God as this. Reverent submission that leads to obedience. Reverent submission that leads to obedience. As as people who bear the image of God, okay, all of us are made in the image of God. In fact, let's turn there. Genesis chapter 1. I think it's always good to, to go back and see our roots as humans, how it is that God made us, and for what purpose. And I think this will be helpful in, in our study even today. Genesis chapter 1. And I'll begin reading in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in His own image, and in the image of God He created him. Male and female He created them. So we see there in verse 27 that both male and female were created in the image of God that we reflect God in some way. Now, that doesn't mean we reflect God in every way. Certainly, we are not omnipresent, that we are everywhere at once. We're not omniscient. We don't know everything like God does. But we, we do reflect Him in several ways. We are creative, like God is creative. Now, we can't take something from nothing, 
all of our creativity is is based on what God has already done. But but we can come up with new ideas, okay? Something that that hasn't been thought of before potentially. We are people who have the capability to relate to God in spirit. Okay? Animals cannot do this. I hope you recognize that. They cannot relate to God in any way. They uh, in any way, in any spiritual way, okay? Because they don't have a spirit. They're simply a body. Um we also uh reflect God's character. That is we are we are made in the image of God. By the way, this is believers and unbelievers alike in the fact that we can we can love other people. Okay? Animals cannot do this. That's because uh, they were not made in the image of God. So what does that have to do with the fear of God? Well, the fear of God shows us, or the, the image of God in man, in woman, shows us that we were designed to fear God. Okay, think about that for a minute. We were made to fear God. Now, we'll talk about what, what that means exactly because... When we think of fear, we're thinking terror, afraid, scared of this, this heavenly creature. Okay, that, that could be part of it, but that's not what it is primarily. So to fear God is to reverently submit to Him in a way that leads to obedience. It's submitting ourselves to Him in a way that leads to obedience. And that is how we can ultimately be pleasing to God if we are people who are fearing God. If we're if we're submitting to him and obeying him, so let's take a look at um, at uh, some scripture that has to do with with these uh, truths that we're trying to learn here. the The next thing that we need to see is why should we fear God? Why is it that we should fear God? The Bible gives several answers, but I think it can all be boiled down into one. Okay, we are obviously his image bearers. We said that that we bear his image in some way, some way. So we should reflect God in that way by fearing him, by obeying him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 verse 28, "Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell." Obviously that's referring to God. God is the one who created us, and He is the judge of all creation. And this is the pattern that we see in Scripture, that you and I will give an account of ourselves. And we're not going to give an account of someone else necessarily, but, but of ourselves to God. And throughout Scripture, we see that we should fear God, that we should fear the Lord, and, and we see several reasons why we should do that. So let's look at a couple of those. And I have a volunteer read for me. Um, Psalm chapter 2, verse 11. Ken, thank you. And then um, Psalm chapter 89, verse 7. Someone else? Psalm, Sarah? Psalm 96, 4. Jennifer? And then Psalm 118, 4. Mike? Thank you. So, when when you hear these verses being read, I want you to you I want you to think of the answer to this question: Why should we fear God? Ken. Okay. At the basic. At, at the at the core of of our spiritual life is this: Serve the Lord with fear. That is, submit to Him, obey Him. All right. 
Uh, Sarah? Uh, okay, so why should we fear God according to that verse? His holiness, that is, His apartness, He is separate from us. And the end of the verse says that He is awesome. He is more awesome than, than anyone else around Him. Okay? Uh, Jennifer? Okay, so it's not just that He is more awesome than anyone else that around Him, but, but Psalm 96.4 says that we ought to be... Um, we ought to recognize that He is greater than all other gods. That is, all other idols. Now, don't just think uh, wooden idols that are set up on people's uh, mantles or, or on somebody's porch. Think anything that takes the place of God. That is, God is greater than anything. And so, why should we fear God? Because He's greater than anything. Mike? Oh, let those who fear the Lord say, His loving kindness is everlasting. Okay. Are there any gods of this world, are there any people for that matter, that can say that their love is everlasting? Have you ever met somebody who's got unconditional, everlasting love? I mean, we we know people even close to us who express love to us, but it certainly is not everlasting. It doesn't go on and on and on. It, it, uh, it is spotty at times, isn't it? We have to admit but God's love is everlasting. And so God's love is greater than all other people's love, all other God's love. And so the, the answer is this. Why should we fear God? Because He is worthy of our fear. That's what it comes down to. That's what these verses are telling us. God is worthy of our fear. He's worthy of our submission, which is expressed in our obedience. <clears throat> so... Um, now we need to turn to the results of fearing God. What, hap- what does it look like when we fear God? There's lots of things that, that the Scriptures promise to those who fear God. In fact, if you were to read through the Psalms and the Proverbs, you would find this phrase, the fear of the Lord, uh, several times, tens, maybe hundreds of times. And so let me just uh, tell you about some of them. We won't uh, take the time to read them, but... Psalm 103, verse 11, tells us that the magnitude of His love is for those who fear Him. So the point there is if we fear God, then God expresses His love in an even deeper way than to those who do not fear Him. Psalm 103, verse 13, tells us that His compassion is on those who fear Him. Um, Psalm 111, verse 15, says that He provides food to those who fear Him. Psalm 130, verse 4 says that there is forgiveness for those who fear Him. And when we get to the Proverbs, we see all these things about it adding length of life, that it teaches us wisdom, it helps us avoid evil. Do you get the point? There is great benefit to us fearing God. God has some great things in store for us. In fact, um, maybe it would be more helpful for you to understand it this way. Fearing God is being satisfied in God. It's being satisfied in God. That is, that we take joy in in worshiping Him, in obeying Him. And so, if we take joy, if if fearing God is, is our greatest joy, then there is nothing in this world that can compare to following Him, to submitting ourselves to Him. Um, well, oh, I do have Isaiah 6 down there at the bottom. 
Uh, we'll, we'll save that for... I was going to turn to Isaiah 6 now, but we'll save that for when we get down there. So, we were designed to fear God. This is how God made us, that we were to give ourselves to Him. But obviously that design was marred or lost at the fall. And when we talk about the fall, we're talking about when Satan obviously fell from heaven, but more specifically when Adam and Eve fell from the presence of God, meaning they disobeyed Him. We call that the fall. And God had made them in a a state where they were sinless, but they did have the opportunity to sin. And when they did, take they took that opportunity. Both of them ate of the fruit because they, specifically Adam, he feared his wife's disapproval more than he feared God. And so when we have this... Um, <clears throat> this time in history, it actually it separates this relationship. It mars this relationship that we had between us and God. Let me read for you a quote by a man by the name of Blotcher in his book called In the Beginning. He said, As soon as the disobedience is committed, the beauty and harmony of existence is shattered, and in their place come shame, fear, and pathetic excuses. As soon as they claim to be like God or God's, in their autonomy, these human beings undertake the defense of their claim. This is an obligation since they wish to be supreme. It is impossible for them not to discover at once the gulf between their intent and their resources. How vulnerable are they in their finiteness? How tender and defenseless is their flesh? Their first reflex is to protect themselves by concealment. The threat springs in particular between man and woman. By posing each as absolute, they absolutize their difference. Being face-to-face now means that they're opponents because they're ultimately trying to be the supreme over the other person. Each finds in the other a rival God and an independence that threatens their own. And so in order to evade the aggressiveness and the seductive look which seeks to captivate and to capture They attempt to cover their nakedness, which is so vulnerable, and thereby they admit, they admit to it according to the paradox of this shame. See, when Adam and Eve first committed this sin, they recognized that, that they were at odds with, not only with God, but with each other. Because each of them wanted to be the authority, they wanted to be the supreme. And that's what happens in sin. We, want to be the supreme authority over God. See, God's told us something to do, has He not? He's told us several things to do. And yet, we want to be the authority over God. God, I know what's best for me. I know what will make me happy, God. So you don't have to tell me these things. I'll do them for myself. And we find out that we are becoming authority. This shows up in every relationship in our lives where we try to, to, to gain, some, gain some sort of authority. And obviously, Jesus came with a different model. He came with a servant model, one in which where He, being the King of the whole earth, comes down and, and bends down and washes the feet of the disciples. And that was totally unexpected and unexplainable to the people that day because they're thinking, if, if this is the Messiah, wouldn't He come and set up His throne? Wouldn't He come and rule as the King? Why would He, do, why would he be so um, humble? Why would He be so meek? 
but that is uh, that is the nature of God. He is a a God who is humble. So they these these two Adam and Eve alienated themselves from God, but they also alienated themselves from each other. And so instead of giving life, the image bearers will turn on each other, as we see in the first act of murder, which was between uh, which was Cain when he killed his brother Abel. And uh, and so the fear of God has been marred because of this alienation that we have from God and from others. Now, we've talked about last week how that shows up in life. You have those three ways that the fear of man shows up. One, physical harm. We're going to talk about that next week. Two, personal, personal rejection. We'll talk about that in two weeks. And then three, fear of shameful exposure. And we'll talk about that in three weeks. So, how should we fear God? Before I get into that, I've been doing a lot of talking. Any questions or comments on what we've discussed so far? All right. How is it that God should be feared? Because the fear of God has fallen on hard times. You look at the world and you you talk to them about God and you talk to them about why they need to be submissive to God and what is their response? Are they quick to submit? Are they quick to say, yeah, let's, let's do it. I, I now recognize that God is the, the Creator and that He is in control of all things. No, they're not quick at all. In fact, they they reject God and that's what Romans 1 tells us about. About um, people in general reject God. They suppress Him. They they realize that there is a God. Everybody knows that there is a God, but they don't want to know that there is a God. They don't want to have that truth seep into their minds because they know they'll have to submit to Him in some way. And so they reject Him. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And this should be our response when we come before God. When we really recognize Him for who He is, This is what Isaiah did when he saw a vision of God, when he stood before God himself. The Lord here invites Isaiah to listen in on the sessions of the royal heavenly court. And now in in these first five verses, we see what it's like to be in the presence of the Lord. Verse 1, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to one another, or to another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple is filled with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is filled with a fear of God. He is trembling. You notice what the, the, the angels are doing there? That's what the seraphim are. The angels are doing. They have six wings, two to cover their eyes, two to cover 
their feet and two to fly with. They even recognize their worthlessness before God, that they cannot stand before Him rightly without His grace. And Isaiah, when he saw all this, when he saw God high and lifted up, when he saw these angels around the throne singing to one another about God's holiness, what was his response? I want to be your ruler. He says, woe is me. He looks at himself first, his sin. I am a man of unclean lips. And then he sees the sin of the nations. And we, and I live among a people of unclean lips. You see, when we see God for who He is, we will respond with proper fear. Look at verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. When, God, when we see God for who He is and then He asks us to do something, when He commands us to do something, our response will be like Isaiah's. Here am I. Send me. He doesn't say, well, what is it I have to do? Give me all the details first and I'll talk. We'll talk about it. Okay, I'll see if I can fit that into my schedule. No, he recognizes God as supreme. What is it that you want me to do? Here am I. Here's my whole life, God. I'm giving it to you. And that will be our response when we see God for who He is. Now, any questions before we move on to the next point? Or comments? Alright, good. Those That is one of my uh, favorite passages in the Scriptures. It's exciting to see... Um, a revelation of God in a way we hadn't seen before. What are the barriers to fearing God? What are the barriers to fearing God? We are created to fear the Lord, to bring Him glory by reflecting His images. But there are three primary barriers to our fearing the Lord. And that is the world, the flesh, and the devil. So if we took a look into inside of our hearts, we will see that, that we have a wrong view of sin. That, that we enjoy it in some way. And what, what lies at the center of our hearts, of our wicked hearts, is that we are somehow good on our own. That, that we don't really need God. And so the world is telling us this all the time. I mean, you, you go out into society or you watch TV for a little while, you'll find out that you deserve all these great things in life. And... Um, and obviously, your own flesh is telling you this. You're saying, hey, I, I could do this on my own. I don't need God. And the devil is certainly involved as well. And so, if we're honest with our, ourselves, then we'll recognize that these three things are barriers to fearing God. Ed Welch says it this way, Such thinking ignores the depths the depth of sin in my own heart. And in essence, it elevates me so that I am just a mildly flawed imitation of God rather than someone completely dependent on Him. Okay, when we look at ourselves, we think, yeah, I am like God in a lot of ways. And I'm just there's a couple differences, obviously. There's a little bit of difference, but for the most part, I'm pretty good. What we should do, however, is what Ed is saying, I think the Scriptures are saying, is that we should recognize that we are completely dependent on Him. That apart from Him, we are under His wrath and we deserve His judgment. So, so this is going to show up in every 
area of our life because the world is pushing in on us all around. Our own flesh is drawing us away to sin. And so we have to be careful. Now, I thought it was helpful last week for us to think through some people who feared man more than they feared God. So this week, I thought it would be helpful for us to think about people in the Scripture who feared God more than man. Okay? So think about some Scripture that you've read, um, perhaps in your Bible reading recently or, or any part of Scripture, where people feared God more than they feared man. Do we have people like that in the Scriptures? Jared? Right. That's excellent. That is an excellent example. He says, I'm not afraid of you, you big, you know, ugly Philistine or whatever. He said, I fear the God of Israel. And because you don't, you're going to die today. That was an excellent. And, and you see everybody else around him. You can see Israel standing up on the, the, uh, the top of this valley just looking down and just being so afraid. Even Saul himself. I mean, Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else in the land. He, he of all people, should have been the one to go up against this, this giant. And yet, you have this young teenage boy coming up and, and fearing God more than man. Excellent example. Anyone else in Scripture fear God more than man? Ken? King Agrippa? Yeah. He stood before him recognizing that this is a good opportunity for me to give the gospel. I mean, I'm trying to, to get my freedom here, but, but ultimately, I'm not concerned about what these guys are going to do to me. I mean, after he had been through so much physical harm and personal rejection, um, he recognized what could have happened if he d- stood up for God in that case. Jennifer? Yeah, good. Genesis chapter 6. We don't have specific accounts of people talking to him um, during that time, but we can only imagine the degree at at which um, he was ridiculed. How hard it would have been to stand alone, really. Just him, his wife, his three sons and their wives. Everybody else was rejecting God and probably mocking him and saying, what is this rain you're talking about? And Blood, no way. Why why build a boat out in the middle of land? That doesn't make sense. Good. You think of someone else? Corey? Stephen? Yeah, Stephen. And he even in the middle of getting stoned, he's he's saying, Lord, forgive them of their sins. Um, do not hold this against them. Good. We can think of Daniel and certainly Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were forced to forced to bow down to this this idol that was set up before them, yet they said, listen, we're not going to do that. And you know what? Our God can save us from this fire, but even if He doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to you because we fear God more than we fear you. Uh, Esther, Ruth, uh, Rahab, Jesus' mother Mary, um, just countless people. We have countless examples of people who feared God. And it doesn't stop in Scripture. It's not just that people were so spiritual in Scripture that, that it stops once Scripture is, 
is completed. Now we have we have all sorts of examples in in our our country's history and even in our world's history of people who stood up for God, who feared God more than they feared man. Martin Luther is a great example. I mean, really a revolutionary in many ways because uh, he was he was within the Catholic Church and he was being taught all these things and and how and who was the authority and he started studying scripture for himself and the spirit started convicting him and saying no it's not on someone else's uh it's not on your own works or on someone else's um attributing goodness to you it, it's on it's on Christ's righteousness Romans chapter uh 5 I think verse 17 is where he saw that and he had to stand up against these people and that's why he pounded the 95 thesis the the, the items that he wanted to debate before this council and um, they obviously called him a heretic and uh, excommunicated him from the church uh, Jim Elliot he was a missionary in the, the early 1900s and uh, he went to the jungles of South Af- South America excuse me and gave his life proclaiming to the uh, the native Indians there because he feared God more than he feared man And I hope that in your life you have seen times where you have feared God more than you feared man. Where you recognize that that this world has more to it than what is simply in front of us. And that that God is ultimately in control and we ought to stand in in awe of Him. And I hope you've seen that in other people's lives even in this church or other Christians that you know. And that can only happen through the power of the Spirit as He uses His Word to change us. But of all those people that we just talked about that feared God more than man, they're not heroes because of their own goodness. They are a testimony to the greatness and the all-satisfying sufficient of Jesus Christ. And that, that's what brings us to this next point. That although we were created to fear God, we lost that fear of God when we sinned through Adam. But, but Jesus reversed that when He came. We were redeemed by Jesus to restore our fear of God. And so what we have here is that Christ gave us the clothing that we desperately needed. Now, I'm not talking about physical clothing. We're talking about the clothing of righteousness. You see, God demands a perfect standard. He demands perfect righteousness. If one person sins, they've sinned on the whole law. Romans chapter 3 says that there is none righteous, no, not one. There are There is none who seeks after God. Nobody does. They have to come through Jesus Christ and they can only do that when God has given them the grace to do that. And so, because we stand as sinners before a holy God, God demands perfect righteousness, we have to have somebody else's righteousness applied to our account. And that's where Jesus Christ comes in. He came and lived a perfect life and God being just demanded this perfect uh, sacrifice and perfect life and now God can be both just and the justifier of us if we come to Christ. So we can only do it when we're clothed 
clothed in Christ's righteousness. When God looks at us, He sees the clothing of Jesus Christ on us. Not because He doesn't see all the great works that we've done because all of our righteousnesses are as what before God? Filthy rags. So we have to have somebody else's righteousness on our behalf. And so that's what this great exchange is. It's the greatest exchange. It is Christ applying His righteousness, His perfect life to our account so that when God sees us, He sees a sinner, but He sees us clothed in Christ's righteousness. So how do we put on the fear of God? Let me have you turn to Psalm chapter 34. Psalm chapter 34, and we'll finish here. What I want you to recognize here is the relationship between the fear of God and the Word of God. Okay, So try to see what the connection is there between the fear of God and the Word of God as we read these verses. Psalm 34, verse 9. O fear the Lord, you His saints, for to those who fear Him there is no want. The young lions do not lack and suffer hunger, but they seek the Lord. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, the Word of God is not explicitly stated in these words, but but what can we see as far as how we can put on the fear of God? Through the Word. It is something that can be taught. Okay, So, we shouldn't just think, okay, when I become a Christian, I automatically fear God. Now, there is a sense in which God changes us and we we want to be more like him but but if we want to fear god more certainly there is there are levels of fearing god aren't there cuz i would hope that we would all admit that we don't fear god enough we don't fear god as much as we should so um so the point is is that we can fear god more and here's the way to do it we need to get into the word more okay just like Isaiah, the more that he recognized who God was, the more he feared God. He he stood in the presence of the Lord. Now you say, well, I'm not going to have a vision like Isaiah. How, how is it that I can go and stand before God like him? Well, we can't. But the way that we can stand in the presence of the Lord is by by getting into his word. Okay, by By seeing it for ourselves, by seeing God's truth, explain to us because God is very closely connected to His Word. He is inseparably connected to His Word. That is, if we want to know who God is, we don't go out and look at trees necessarily. We don't go out and look at the sky and try to just focus. If I can just focus a little bit more, I'll know who God is. Now, obviously we can see God in those things because He, he is the Creator of those things. But my point is, if we want to see God, we want to stand in the presence of God like Isaiah did, we need to get into His Word. And here's three practical ways in which we can do that. When we're looking at the Word of God, I would suggest that you study the character of God. Study the character of God. So ask yourself this question, number one, under assignment. As you're reading the Scriptures each day, ask, what does this passage say about God? Okay? Very simple question. And it's very simple to see it in, in every scripture because 
if the Word of God is about God, then we should be able to see Him in every part of the Scripture. So what does this passage say about God? Number two, you need to meditate on the Gospel. So after you're finished reading, think about what that reading had to do with regard to the Gospel. Now, obviously, not every single part of the Scripture uh, refers to the Gospel um, explicitly. You look at Genesis chapters 1 through 2, and you don't really have anything that has to do with the Gospel there necessarily. But once you get to the fall, you recognize that, wow, we have a separation here between us and God. That's part of the Gospel. Meditate on the Gospel. Meditate on what Christ did for you. See, when we, when we recognize the gulf that has been fixed between us as lowly sinners and God, that perfect heavenly Father that we have, when we see that gulf expanded more and more, we recognize how great the cross is. You see? Because when we first get saved, a lot of times what happens is we say, okay, I'm a sinner, I recognize that, and, and God's great and all that, and this is how far the gulf is. And so this cross doesn't look as great, does it? Like, oh, okay, Jesus died for my sin. I got it. I got it. I, I didn't have quite as many sins as some other people, and their gulf was a lot farther apart than mine was. But you see, as we, as we look into the Word more, what happens is we see ourselves more as sinners. We see how wicked we really are, and we see how great God is. The gulf gets fixed farther and farther, and we recognize how great of a gap God, Christ did span when He died on the cross. That's the point of the, the bridge tract. That, that it, it spans the gulf that was fixed between us and God. That we couldn't get there on our own. We couldn't move from, from, from a, a guilty sinner to uh, perfectly righteous before God without Christ fixing the gap for us. Standing in the gap. So meditate on the Gospel. Third, repent of pride. Our pride goes deeper than any of us could imagine and it's rooted in the very fabric of who we are. And so we need to start learning how to doubt our own desires and start trusting in God. And that will mean that we have to set aside our pride, that I know what is best. And that's where we come back to the definition of the fear of the Lord, that is reverently submitting to God as expressed in our obedience. When we do that, then we will see uh, a great difference in how we respond to other people. And we won't fear them as much as we used to. Alright, any questions or comments? Alright, appreciate your attention today. Let me uh, have a word of prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank You so much for the Gospel of Jesus Christ that came to us when we did not deserve it. We never could deserve it. We never could earn it. And so we thank You for it. And we thank You for how great of a God You are. We pray that You would help us as we reflect on the Scriptures think about how great You are and how lowly we are. How lowly we were. Certainly, we are not now because of what Jesus Christ has done through us. But even as believers, we uh, on our own are unprofitable servants. And so we pray that You would give us the grace to fear You more than anyone else by reverently submitting to You as expressed in our obedience to You. We love You and we want to show You that
throughout this week by responding rightly to Your Word. May You help us in it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.